Welcome to the sermon podcast of Christ Church Medicine, a community coming home to Jesus and His Church. For more information about us, visit ChristChurchMedicine.com. Last weekend, Anne and I enjoyed gathering with many of you at the Green Lake Conference Center for fellowship, prayer, worship, Bible study, and relaxation. At this church retreat, Father Scott spoke on Joseph in the book of Genesis, and he used a few illustrations from the Chronicles of Narnia, which he said he was reading to his kids. Now, I love the Chronicles of Narnia. It's a series of books for children, about children having adventures in a mythical land full of talking animals, with the most important being Aslan, a majestic lion who is the Christ figure throughout all seven books. Aslan usually appears as a mighty and strong lion, but on some occasions, he can take the form of a tender cat who comforts a a lonely child. Now at the retreat, early Saturday morning, About 25 of us gathered for morning prayer in this outside worship space that looked over the lake as the sun was rising. It could have been Narnia, as far as I was concerned. The weather was cool, but not cold. Animals were rustling about in the woods. Birds were chirping as we prayed. The sun was dancing on the lake as we read the Psalms. And out of the corner of my eye, through the old pair of glasses that I've been using for the last two weeks, I thought I saw a cat in the distance. How perfect. Except moments later, somebody with better eyes say, hey, look, a groundhog. Well, it still reminded me of Narnia. The retreat had activities for everyone, and you might describe it as kid-friendly. Kids built and sailed in cardboard boats. They collected more grasshoppers than I've seen in years. They colored team flags, spent time hanging around the ice cream freezer in the cafeteria. Oh, yeah. I say this by way of passing because our gospel reading features a child. In fact, the Gospel of Mark is full of stories about Jesus and children. This morning, we will meditate on our gospel reading where Jesus speaks about his passion awaiting in Jerusalem and then places a child in the midst of the disciples, then picks up the child and talks about servanthood. Let's begin with a prayer. Dear Jesus, you know what it is like to be a child, to grow from infancy into adulthood, to be raised in a family. During your ministry here on earth, you never refused the youngest among us when they came to you. Help us this morning to better comprehend how your love for children 
helps us to understand our Heavenly Father's love for us. We ask this through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our gospel takes us right into the middle of Mark, to chapter 9, and also right into the middle of three of Jesus' announcement telling his disciples about his passion and resurrection. They all have a similar pattern. Jesus tells them about what awaits in Jerusalem. The disciples don't understand, and they conclude with Jesus talking about discipleship and servanthood. The first announcement is in the previous chapter, chapter 8. Jesus tells the disciples in the town of Caesarea Philippi that he'll undergo suffering, be rejected, killed, and on the third day rise again. Peter rebukes Jesus, to which Jesus responds, Get thee behind me, Satan. And Jesus finishes the scene by telling his disciples that each must pick up their cross and follow him. The second announcement, which is the gospel appointed for today, comes from the next chapter, Mark chapter 9, in the town of Capernaum. Again, Jesus tells the disciples that he'll be betrayed and killed, but he'll rise again after three days. The disciples, who aren't tracking at all, argue who's the greatest, and Jesus responds by picking up a young child and says, whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. In the third announcement, the following chapter, Mark chapter 10, Jesus once again tells the disciples as they are on the road to Jerusalem about what to expect when they arrive that he'll be handed over to the chief priests, the scribes, and even the Gentiles, that he'll be killed, but on the third day he will rise again. Once again, the disciples are clueless. John asks Jesus if he and his brother can sit beside him when he comes to glory, much to the annoyance of the other disciples. And Jesus concludes saying that if whoever wishes to become great among them must become a servant. This morning, we're focusing on that second announcement where Jesus uses a child as a teaching prop, something that caught my attention because I'm a teacher too. Jesus doesn't heal the child. Jesus isn't blessing children at this time. Instead, he is teaching the disciples in a private home He takes a young child, puts it among them, I imagine between himself and the disciples, and then takes the child into his arms. Somehow, the act of picking up and welcoming a little child connects Jesus' statement about suffering, death, and resurrection to the nature of servanthood. What's going on here? To better understand the gospel, it's helpful to understand the audience to whom the gospel was originally written. William Lane, in his commentary on the Gospel of Mark, writes, the clear tradition of the church, both in the West and East, towards the end of the second century and the beginning of the third, is that Mark prepared the gospel primarily for the Christians in Rome and Italy. An appreciation of the life situation will indicate how the Christians in Rome could be informed by the tract read in their meetings. 
he notes that references in the Gospel of Mark that speak directly to the experience of Roman Christians, references that would speak directly to those who were suffering persecution in the mid of the first century. For example, in Mark's very brief description of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, Mark mentions a detail that is not included in any of the other accounts of the temptation. Mark 1.13 states that Jesus was in the wilderness 40 days tempted by Satan, and he was with wild beasts. Professor Lane writes that this detail, that he was with wild beasts, was filled with special significance for those called to enter the arena where they stood helpless in the presence of wild beasts. In Mark's gospel, they found that nothing they could suffer from Nero was alien to the experience of Jesus. So, to return to the gospel reading that we have for this morning, how would a Roman Christian respond to the gospel account of Jesus placing a little one in the midst of the disciples, perhaps stepping back, and then raising the little one in his arms to welcome it? The Greek, word for child, the Greek word for child in this passage can refer to a very young child, an infant. For example, Luke chapter 2 uses the same Greek word to describe the baby Jesus. In Luke 2.17, it's the child lying in a manger. I take that the child in Mark 9 is very young, and some of the translations that you may have will say a young child, perhaps even as young as an infant. As a dad, toddlers, I would have a hard, would have a hard time staying put. And older children get a little hard to pick up from the floor. I suspect the little one was an infant. If this is accurate, that the child was an infant, then the Roman Christians would associate Jesus' action of taking a child that was placed in the middle of the room into his arms with the birth of a child. Now, when we think about the birth of children, many images come to mind generations ago. We had waiting rooms for fathers and other members of the family who would wait to hear from the nurse whether the newborn was a boy or a girl. And later, the family would wave to the baby through a glass window into a room full of babies, hoping that they identified the right bassinet. Our present practice allows others to be present to witness the miracle of birth. One can instantly send pictures and videos of the baby. Just be sure to include everyone whom you FaceTimed at the gender reveal party months before. Today, we naturally think that children have always been welcomed into the world when they were born. But that wasn't the case in the Roman world of Mark's Gospel. 
Back then, when a mother was about to give birth, she would be assisted in labor by midwives. She would give birth in a separate room with the, fa with the father and other members of the household waiting outside. When the baby was born, the midwife would inspect it, take it to the father, and place the infant at the father's feet. If the father decided to pick up the child, then, and only then, did the child become a member of the family. In the textbook, A History of Private Life, which is a cultural history of the domestic life in the West, historian Paul Vane writes, the birth of a Roman was not merely a biological fact. Infants came into the world, or at any rate, were received into society only as the head of the family willed. A citizen of Rome did not have a child. He took a child, raised him up. Immediately after the birth, it was the father's prerogative to raise a child from the earth where the midwife had placed it, thus indicating that he recognized the infant as his own and declined to expose it. A child whose father did not raise it up was exposed outside the house or in some public place. Anyone who wished might claim it. And this is from his first volume. Immediately after birth, an infant had no legal standing. It was completely helpless. Its life depended upon the will of the father. You might say that infants were born orphans until they were received into the family. But after the infant is picked up, it receives a name. It becomes an heir. It has a future. The life of the infant has completely changed. So how would a Roman Christian respond to the gospel account of Jesus placing a little one in the midst of the disciples? Perhaps stepping back, then picking up the infant and raising the little one in his arms to welcome it. Wouldn't a Roman Christian say, Jesus, I am that child that you lovingly picked up. I am that child that you hold in your arms. Through the passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, I have a name. I have a family. I'm a Christian. I'm an heir. I just don't have a future. I now have eternal life with you. There is nothing I could do to deserve such a great gift. This theme of coming to Christ and being incorporated into the family of God is one of the central themes throughout the New Testament. Listen to what St. Paul writes in the first letter to the first chapter of his letter to the of the Ephesians. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons and daughters, through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. 
In him we have redemption through his blood and forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be the praise of his glory. In him you also have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. We Christians worship a God who picks up children, a loving God who willingly endures the pain and the suffering of the cross in order to incorporate children into the family of God. We have a common family identity. We are sons and daughters of God. And because of the resurrection, we share an inheritance that can never be taken away. So as I was reflecting on the gospel throughout the week, three things came to mind. The first is how in the gospel, passion is linked to fatherhood. This might be a very important story for those who have difficulty with the idea of a heavenly father because of painful experiences they might have had with their own earthly father. I think that this may have been especially significant for the audience of Mark's gospel, given that first century Roman fathers were disciplinarians, weren't known for their tenderness, compassion, and loving kindness. Visualizing Jesus pick up an infant out of love after talking about his passion points directly to the love that God the Father has for each one of us. In a sermon that I will leave for another time, this passage is a visual symbol of John 3.16. The second thing that came to my mind is reflecting on the infant in the middle of the room. This underscores the important point that we come to God as children. We do not come to God with our resumes or with an impressive list of references that God can call. We come to God as babies who recognize that their being and welfare depend upon a loving God. Nothing of what we may have, be it wealth, intelligence, social mobility, put anything you want, would make God love us more. And if we come to God with dirty diapers, and what baby does not have dirty diapers? 
God doesn't love us any less. Finally, it says something about servanthood. This story provides direction as to what we need to do as a church. Christ's church is a community coming home to Jesus and his church. Without Jesus and his bride, Mother Church, we are all spiritual orphans. But let us keep in mind how important it is to know that there's always room for more at the table. What we need to do is to be a place where other spiritual orphans in our community can hear the good news too and find a home in Jesus's church as well. We need to be wary of being insular, intending only to our own needs. We must stretch out our arms outward into the community. We must follow Jesus' examples. And when we do, we mirror God's love for us. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you stretched out your arms of love on the hardwood of the cross that everyone might come within the reach of your saving embrace. So clothe us in your spirit that we, reaching forth our hands in love, may bring those who do not know you to the knowledge and love of you for the honor of your name.